you're tuning into Tales from the Desolate Highway, your source for the history of post-apocalyptic literature. I'm your host, Nathan Ogloff. Let's get the show on the road, guys. Hey guys, it's episode 6, season 1, and before I start talking about the book, I'm going to tell you what's been going on with me. Uh, I think I might have writer's block, I, uh, or I might have the closest thing to it. I got one scene done all last week, and it wasn't even a new scene. I'm going over scenes for part 2 of the novel now, and uh, some people out there might think I'm going too slow. I have days when I agree with them. Well, this is the rate I work at, so that's my excuse that I'm sticking to it. Oh, uh, my total number of listens doubled, so guys, thanks out there, man. That was sweet. I also finished reading 100 Years of Solitude. Not post-apocalyptic. What did I think of it? Well, first I'm going to say what I'm supposed to say. Then I'm going to say what I really think. So uh, here's what I'm supposed to say. Ugh, wow, just ugh. What a compelling and beautifully written and wonderfully moving piece of Latin American literature. Just, oh my god. What a true classic. Now, here's what I'm actually thinking. I didn't hate it. It was well done. But I don't think that type of novel is meant for me. Now... I know someone out there is probably scoffing and saying, "Ugh, typical North American ignorance. You just don't understand the, the, the cultural and political idiosyncrasies of Latin American culture, specifically that of Colombia or, or Mexico. Well, sir or madam, I am definitely inclined to agree with you. Hey, I got an idea. Let's just talk about this week's book. Hey, that sounds great. So, this week's book, The Purple Cloud by M.P. Scheel, written in 1901. That is right. Yes, we are officially in the 20th century, where I will be spending the vast majority of this podcast. So, the novel starts out with a narrator, unnamed, who receives a bunch of journals from a dying friend who said the journals contain the predictive texts text of a medium woman called Miss Mary Wilson. So the text talks about a man named Adam Jefferson. I should mention that the novel takes place in the 1950s, which would be the future for the author, or at the time this was written. Adam is a doctor in London married to a woman named Cloda. He, she knows a man called Peter Peters who is going to an expedition to the Arctic. She wants Adam to go, so she poisons Peter Peters, knowing that he'll be replaced by Adam because she thinks he is the best doctor in London. So he goes. But not before a priest tells him not to go because the poles are no-go zones on God's orders. Jefferson thinks he's full of shit because he already met a man who believes the universe is in a perpetual state of conflict between the so-called white and dark powers. The reason he is going on this expedition is because a millionaire who has already died left a huge sum of money to the first person to reach the Arctic. I know, I'm not being very specific with the names, but neither was Wikipedia, so we're just going to go with that. Bear in mind, the first person to reach the North Pole was like in 1908, so this is like a sci-fi thing back then, like us and Mars today. Uh, They didn't know what was at the North Pole, maybe Santa was actually there for all they knew, I don't know. 
So when Adam gets to the ship, he comes across his buddy Clark, who says it was the strangest thing that happened because Clark had a dream that Adam was going to be on the expedition with him. So then the ship starts traveling north. Eventually they hit ice and uh, the crew gets off to explore it. This isn't the end of the journey. They're just out to explore the wonders of the Arctic, essentially. While the crew is on the ice, a polar bear charges at Adam. He manages to shoot it, but it veers off and ends up mauling a crew member named Maitland. Later on, Adam, Adam thinks a polar bear is on the ship. He goes to investigate and sees one charging at him. When he shoots it, he sees that it was just Maitland ch charging at him in a polar bear costume. Yes, Maitland survived, and yes, it really seems foolish that he would do such a thing, but such is the book. Anyway, now that they know Adam shot him, the crew thinks he's trying to kill off everyone so that, that he can be the first person to reach the North Pole. This isn't made any better when Adam has a dream about Cloda poisoning Peter. He says in his sleep, no, don't do it, Cloda. And when he wakes up, he sees the ship's captain, David Wilson, hovering over him. Not good. Eventually, a ship hits the ice near the North Pole and becomes overwhelmed with bears overrunning it. They all evacuate, and in the chaos, Adam comes across David. He urges David to come with him, but David doesn't trust him. David wants to resolve... Uh, his issues with Adam in a duel. They dig a grave in the ice, walk their ten steps, you know, duel stuff. David turns around to fire at Adam, and David is a good shot, but it's at night and he can't see shit. Adam aims and fires, just as the Aurora Borealis shows up to give him enough light. Uh, can somebody say ghost in the machine? Now, the reason some of the above doesn't make so much sense is because uh, some of that above is Adam's own personal narration, and we are led to believe that he isn't that trustworthy. Adam meets up with another crew member called Mew, and they take sled dogs and travel over the ice. This is where you see Shield's good use of his Arctic knowledge, for he describes the ice in intimate detail. Uh, for example, he lets us know that it's not smooth and that they have to periodically unload the sled and huck stuff over ridges. The ice eventually smooths out, and as they travel, they start seeing glittering stones and jewels under the ice. Then they get to the North Pole. Mew accuses Adam of being a murderer when he finds out about David, but Adam says it was a duel, and those are the rules, basically. The North Pole has an island in the middle of a lake of spinning water. Uh, can we say Fortress of Solitude, Superman? Anyway, Adam gets to the island and finds inscriptions on the island which cause him to faint. He later wakes up to see a purple cloud on the horizon accompanied by the smell of peaches. He sees that two sled dogs are dead, and the bears and wolves in the Arctic are dead. Adam ends up being in the Arctic for two months as he tries to find people. He doesn't, He doesn't, and eventually all the sled dogs die. He gets a kayak and finds a ship where everyone is dead. On the ship, he gets a microscope and takes some of the fine dust he keeps seeing on people and puts it under a microscope. He, uh, it has trace amounts of cyanide, which is why it tastes like bitter peaches and almonds. Now, this is where we get into some Omega Man shit, and that's going to seem more relevant later. Every ship he comes across is dead. I should mention that he's piloting, or driving, I don't know, which, uh, all by himself, because apparently he has the skill to do that. He lands in Norway, in the streets, uh, he finds people in eastern dress and quickly finds out that they were running from something. And then he goes to England. There he finds a telegraph office, and as he touches the needle, he sees that there is no current, like nothing's happening. 
It has been so long since he saw another person that he is actually afraid to at this point. He takes a train from Dover to London. I don't know, maybe MP Shale thought that people in the future could drive and move anything because everyone was super smart or something like that. Anyway, in London, he stays in a hotel room with no dead bodies. Uh, and what I mean by that is the room itself has no dead bodies in it, but the hotel itself does have dead bodies. Uh, he keeps thinking he's hearing people in it because it's probably the brain's way of dealing with a lack of sense. That's what uh, Shield is describing here. Finds out that there was a volcanic eruption in the South Pacific that advanced 100 miles a day and the Arctic was the last stop for it. That was why he survived. He suspects that maybe some people took refuge in the mines of England. So he goes to a library to find a list of all the mines. Before he sets off on his journey, he stops by his family home, where he finds his mom and sister dead, and he also buries him. The only two people in England buried. He also finds the home of Arthur Machen, who was forever writing a poem when he died. Uh, this is a little shout out to Shields' real life friend. Uh, this is this kind of reference kind of reminds me of this is the end that apocalyptic story set in set in L.A. Uh, Adam also comes across a hospital where he finds patients that didn't die of the plague. Basically, they were locked away for their own safety, but the people that were supposed to look after them died of the cloud. So they died of hunger. The dust of the cloud preserves people, which is why everyone else who is dead doesn't smell. But the people who died of hunger do smell, so he gets the hell out of there. Uh, and this is where he starts burning everything. He burns the hospital down, and he goes to his old uh, place, home, and sees a painting of himself and thinks, Man, that was so long ago. I'm like a different person. Uh, he thinks he hears Cloda's voice, but it was a gramophone left on repeat. Uh, when he finds Cloda's uh, dead body, he accidentally knocks the gramophone over in his fright. Uh, then begins his world tour of, let's burn stuff to the ground. London falls, Paris falls, Berlin falls, stuff like that. He finds out parts of Italy have sunk into the sea. Uh, when he can't burn Rome, he starts to build an overly elaborate palace now look i've worked in construction good luck making that by yourself you're gonna injure yourself uh then there will be no more people around but at this point he kind of wants that so and eh, whatever anyway so halfway through making this palace he takes a hiatus and goes around on his on a second world burning tour uh he's basically batshit crazy at this point but hey when you haven't been around people in a while you might do that I'm assuming many of you out there know what I mean. Anyway, eventually he makes his way to New York where he finds a ship that was bound for the Arctic. The journal there lets him know that it's been about 20 years since that day he left for the Arctic himself. So this was another expedition that was going to try to be the first and it just never got off the ground. Uh, he makes his way back to his palace and finishes it. The voices in his head come back and tell him to go to Constantinople. Dantinople. He goes there and burns it to the ground, and as he walks among the ashes, he starts seeing footprints. Then hears a laugh, then sees a naked woman. He's going to kill her, but is struck by lightning, God saying, no, 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 don't do that. Now we're entering the weird fetishization part of the book, so he doesn't kill her, and she follows him like a lost dog. He really wants her to leave, but she doesn't. He locks her in a building, but she's so naive, she just walks up to the roof and jumps off, thinking that gravity won't, that the fall won't hurt her. 
He nurses her back to health, teaches her language, and finds out she can learn at a super fast rate. He also learns that she survived off of dates and white wine in, in a cellar below the city. Which doesn't make any sense because a kid couldn't live off of that all alone. You know, they need actual nutrition. So the thing about this whole cellar is that it was far below the city underground, protected from all these ravages that happened above the surface because it was sealed away. And that's why that's that that's that's why she survived. So uh, moving on, Adam doesn't treat her well, but at this point he's basically lost his mind, so it makes sense he's a piece of shit. He does this because he doesn't want to tempt himself into being with her, again because he just wants people to die. But eventually he names her Cloda and makes her wear a veil over her face so that he doesn't have to see or hear her. Hey, don't look at me like that. I didn't write this shit, I'm just telling you about it. Anyway. Adam finds out that Cloda version 2.0 does things a lot better than him. Adam therefore thinks God sent her as the perfect one. She stops calling herself Cloda and starts calling herself Lita. This is it. He tries to shoot her, but she's not fatally shot. Then, feeling scared, Adam runs away to Portsmouth, England. But then he gets a telephone message from her saying that Cloud is back and it's going to zero in on him. I think they had basic telephones by 1901, or at least Shield knew of the concept and knew it would be in place by 1950. Uh, Lita tells him that God won't let her die and that if he wants to be safe, he needs to come back to her. He believes this by now because he has, he, he has accepted the fate that he and her were meant to repopulate the human race. In the end, they come back together and become the progenitors of humanity's future. So, um, as I said, the Omega Man stuff comes from here because you can see how much of this writing has influenced zombie movies. The Omega Man being a zombie movie, kind of? This work also influenced The Stand by Stephen King as well as the 1959 movie The World, The Flesh, and The Devil. I should also note that the main character is Adam, the same as the first man. So it's interesting that this last man tale has the first and last... Men named the same. The novel was also praised and admired by H.G. Wells and H.P. Lovecraft, who both loved M.P. Shields. Uh, this M.P. Shields novel. Jeez, you'd think it was a trend to go by your first two initials at this time, by how many of these guys both had them. Well, I mean, not both had them, but how many of these guys all did that. Anyway, I'm rambling. Uh, so I digress uh, from that. And uh, that's this week's book, The Purple Cloud. Purple because it came out of a volcano and had cyanide in it by M.P. Scheele. Uh, before I go, I'd like to give a shout out to the Apocalypse Book Club, whose podcast was invaluable in the research I did for this episode. So, next time on Tales from the Desolate Highway... We talk about Lord of the World by Robert Hugh Benson, which tells the tale of the reign of the Antichrist. Yes, we will appeal to my heavy metal desires next week. You've been listening to another episode of Tales from the Desolate Highway. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at UnusualAuthor and Instagram at UnconventionalAuthor. 
as always, thanks for tuning in. <laughs>